0: There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca forward. Welcome to Turning Point. If you're a believer, you're no doubt eager for the return of Christ. But do you sometimes wonder what you should be doing until then? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah begins a series to answer that question from several perspectives with wisdom from God's Word, living with confidence in a chaotic world. Here's David to introduce the first message in this series, Stay Calm. Friends,
1: sometimes people tell me they don't study prophecy because they don't believe it's practical. Uh, When somebody tells me that, I know one thing about them. They haven't really read the Bible very carefully, because throughout the Bible, where prophetic truth is given, there's almost inevitably a practical application within the immediate context. Here's an illustration from what we're going to talk about today. The disciples have discovered that Jesus is going to be leaving them and going back to heaven. He's going to be crucified and taken from them. Little by little, this truth is becoming apparent to them, and this one that they have loved and walked with and served is going to be leaving. And so Jesus says to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice. Jesus tells them what's going to happen in the future, and then he tells them how they should respond in the present. I'm going away. I'm going to be gone for a while. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm coming again later to take you where I am. In the meantime, let not your heart be troubled. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how to stay calm in a Chaotic World, from John 14, 1 through 6. Before we get started in the lesson, I want to tell you about how you can get this book that we have just re-released and updated it with all kinds of new material, and uh, it's in a beautiful new cover. It's called Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, 230 pages of teaching on the things Jesus tells us to do while we're waiting for Him to return. This 230-page book is yours for the asking. When you send a gift to Turning Point, we'll send this book to you as our way of saying thank you for your gift and investment in this ministry. Now let's get started with today's lesson as we talk about staying calm, John 14:1 through 6 We published this book called What in the World is Going On, and we had no idea that we would hit such a nerve in our country. I've been writing books for over 20 years, and this one book has sold more copies than all of the other books put together, only because people are hungry for answers, and you probably already know that. We're living in unprecedented times, and I mean, somebody asked me, where'd you get the title for that book? I said, people just kept asking me this question, what in the world is going on? And as you remember, the book was about 10 prophetic clues you can't afford to ignore, We trace some of the things that are in the scripture that the Bible tells us are going to happen in the future, some of which are starting to happen right now. The book was completed just before the recession hit. I needed a couple of more months and I could have had another chapter, but I didn't get it done. And where we are right now is sort of as if the United States of America went to the doctor's office for its annual checkup And the nurse said, this will hurt just a little bit, and then picked up a mallet and smashed us in the head. As the late Senator Everett Dirksen used to say, a billion here, a billion there, and sooner or later it adds up to some real money. (laughs) And most of us were unprepared for the reality that was to come, which became the new normal. The numbers tell the story in their cold, hard fashion. By the end of the year 2008... American investors had lost $6.9 trillion in the stock market. I don't know if you can wrap your mind around those kind of numbers. I sure can't. But here's a number that I do understand. One half, that's the portion of the total wealth of the United States and, in fact, of the entire world that did a vanishing act in just a few months. Even the Billionaires Club was affected. 30% of those on the 2008 Forbes list dropped off in 2009 it was frightening spawning its own kind of humor in a way you've probably heard about all the folks whose 401k became a 101k in just a short period of time US Congress passed a stimulus package 787 billion dollars to inject some life into a very sick economy and nobody knows for sure what to think of it is it too much is it too little is it too late is it too soon who knows But what we do know is there's never been a time like this in history. Certainly not in the collective lifetimes of the people in this room. More than likely not in the history of our nation or the history of the world. What in the world is going on? But now the question is, what on earth should we do? (laughs) And people have been asking me that question. Okay, we're with you, Pastor. We understand. We're living in unprecedented times. Israel's back in its land, and the Islamic Revolution is well on its way, and European Coalition is going like crazy, and all these things the Bible speaks about. So how do we live in times like this? And you know there have been some over the years who've had the idea that if you really believe Jesus is coming back to this earth, get a white sheet, go sit on a fence, don't do anything, and hope he comes soon. Obviously, that's not the answer. One of the surprising things that happened to me as I studied the New Testament was that every time I would get to one of those passages in the New Testament that talked about Jesus coming back, I began to notice that tucked away in the context of the prophecy was a little clue about what we should be doing if this is true. In fact, I found ten of them, and it became sort of the outline of the book that's called Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World. It's that that I want to talk with you about Because all of us are in the same boat I don't care who we are We all have been touched by what's happening in the world today If it hasn't touched us personally It's touched our kids It's touched our friends It's touched our neighbors And in many occasions it's drastically touched our churches So what do we do? How do we respond? And I want you to know that there is a word from God about all of this It's very surprising In fact, I can't imagine how we've missed this along the way these 10 strategies found in the Word of God give us both the promise of Christ's return, but also they tell us that we can know during this time what on earth we should be doing, how we should be living. And I thought I'd start with one that I think begins at the beginning, and that is the Bible tells us that during these days we should stay calm. Say that with me stay calm. If we don't stay calm, we won't win any of the wars. We won't have the knowledge or the wisdom to know how to steer ourselves through this. And so I think this is a good strategy, and it comes straight from the Word of God. Stay calm. Now, the word calm is an interesting word, isn't it? It doesn't have a definition of its own. The word calm is known for what it is not agitation, it's not fear, it's not turbulence but calm does require some kind of a storm or we would never notice it. The weather world gave us the word calm back some years ago and it means wind that is moving one mile per hour or less. There's a scale that they concocted to help us measure this. It's called the Beaufort scale and on one end of the scale is calm and on the other end of the scale is hurricane. And one of the good questions for us to ask ourselves, if your spiritual life, if your life of walking with God were to be measured on the Beaufort scale, where would you be? Would you be toward the end of calm or would you be toward the end of hurricane? As you attempt to move through these chaotic days, where are you on this scale? In these messages, we're trying to determine what on earth we should be doing in these days. And the solid answers from the scripture will help us stay focused And most of all, stay calm. It was at the death of our Lord and the days that preceded it that these truths began to take form. The disciples of Jesus were anxious. They had begun to listen carefully to the master as he told them that he was going to go away. And they didn't understand what he meant. It's pretty evident as you read the scripture that they were profoundly confused by these words from Jesus. And as the death of the Lord began to draw near, Jesus understood their anxiety and he spoke some words to them that have great meaning to us as we interpret them in their context in the New Testament and then apply them to ourselves today. We're all familiar with this passage. It's one of the key passages in the New Testament. Turn with me to John chapter 14 and the first six verses. John chapter 14. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when they began to be stressed out over the news that he was going to be leaving them and he didn't give them any information about where he was going and when he would come back. And here's what he said to them. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except Through me. Take a moment and evaluate your own life. Do you understand how those terms apply to you where you are right now? We need to return to this passage whenever we are besieged by worry. We need to come back and listen to what Jesus said. He didn't say these words beside a Galilean stream on a sunny day, He didn't give His disciples this information as He stood on a cruise ship or in a penthouse. These are the words from the mouth of Jesus as he stood in front of the jaws of hell. He didn't speak from the protective shelter of his father's arms. He sat with his frightened disciples in the upper room preparing for the worst that humanity would ever produce and for the silence of heaven. And his words to his disciples were, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, it encourages me as I read that passage of Scripture to realize that he faced what he did. He felt the worst of what we would feel, and still he had enough strength to comfort his disciples. And he looked at his friends, and he felt compassion for them. And these were men who would ask to follow him, and men who had given their lives to Jesus, whose every waking hour for three years had been spent in his presence. And then he had begun to speak of leaving them. And in John 13, he told them that the time was drawing near. In John thirteen thirty three and 36, we read these words. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. The conversation would have been terribly upsetting for the disciples. Our Lord's words of encouragement to his close friends were preserved by the Apostle John in the gospel that we read a few moments ago. And he asked them to put their trust in four things. And Jesus said to them, you won't be troubled, you won't lose your calm if you will just remember four things. And it's interesting to me that the four things he asked them to remember are four things we need to remember today as well. As we face the uncertainty of these times, as we... Get the emails that come through Tell us another thing has happened We didn't expect Somebody else we know Has lost everything they've had How do we maintain our focus And how do we resist the temptation To fill our lives with worry and anxiety In uncertain times Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Let not your hearts be troubled And then he tells them You need to believe in three things Number one Jesus asks us to believe in a person in the first part of 14, 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And when a child is afraid at night and they don't know what to do, only a parent can provide comfort for them. They don't want the babysitter. If they're really scared, they want mom or they want dad. That's how it is with Jesus. His comfort begins with his very identity. He says, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, when Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, the meaning of that word is don't let your heart shudder. Don't let it quake. Don't be filled with anxiety. And he went on to say something that might have made the hearts of these good Jewish men shudder. He said to these Jews, you believe in God? I want you to believe in me like you believe in him. Because, you know, Jesus understood who he was. He knew that he was God. And I'm pretty certain that most of the disciples had come to that conclusion as well, though we're not really absolutely certain about that as we read through the Gospels. But what Jesus asked them to do was a pretty tough assignment for many of them. These are the men who had been schooled in the Shema, which is the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And they had been trained since infancy to love God exclusively. And now Jesus was telling them something very shocking. He was wanting them to believe in him in the exact same way that they had come to believe in the Father. It was Jesus telling his disciples, I and the Father are one. I am God in the flesh. And as you put your trust in the Father, put your trust in me for we are one, we are the same. Periodically as I go around the country, people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, if they say that, they just haven't read the Bible because Jesus constantly claimed to be God. He constantly said that he was from God and that he was with God and that they had the same nature and that he was God walking around in a body. Whether the disciples had grabbed that truth or not, we cannot know. But what we do know is after they heard those words, they could never be the same again. For Jesus said to them, if you want to get through this time, this stressful time that you're experiencing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to believe in me just as you believed in the Father. John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father am one. We are one. To believe in what I say, you must believe in who I am. I know that's a pretty uh, basic truth. But let me just ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you? Well, you say, Pastor, you can't be a Christian if you don't believe in Jesus. Absolutely. Do you believe he's going to take you to heaven? You've bet your eternity on it, haven't you? If that isn't true, you're in a lot of trouble. Now, listen to me carefully. If you have bet your eternity on Jesus, that what he did on the cross is enough to pay for all your sin and cleanse you from all the iniquity of your heart, that he gave you his righteousness and he has promised you eternal life. If he can do that for you, do you think he can get you through the days that are before you in the future? If he takes care of the major thing, can he not take care of what in perspective are the minor things? So Jesus said to the disciples, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. Are we trusting Jesus or are we panic stricken? Every time something happens, do we go to him first or do we let him be the last resort? So the first thing he said to his disciples, we need to take to heart, you believe in God. Believe also in me. I want you to believe in a person. And then he said something that we're all very well acquainted with as Christians. He said, I don't want you to believe in a person. I want you to believe in a place. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. The scripture includes a lot of synonyms for heaven, and we know what some of those are. For instance, the Bible says that heaven's like a kingdom. And when you think of the kingdom, you think of organization and uh, sort of the political nature of a kingdom. The Bible says that heaven is a country. And when you think of heaven as a country, you think of the vastness of it. The Bible says that heaven is a city. And when you think of heaven as a city, you think of the population of the city. I hear people say all the time, well, heaven's not going to be big enough for all the people that are going to go there. How could it be big enough? Well, one of the reasons they say that is because they overestimate the number of people that are going there. I think that's one of the reasons. (laughs) But let me just tell you something. If heaven is God's work, don't you think he can make it big enough for everybody who's going to go there? And then heaven is sometimes called paradise. And that's a good place. When we call heaven paradise, we refer to it that way because it's a message of its beauty. Heaven is a beautiful place. But i got to tell you something. Here's my favorite name for heaven. It's right here in this text. In my father's house are many mansions. I love that. My father's house. Say that with me. The father's house. Now I grew up in a good family. My daddy was a preacher. And we lived in a little village in Ohio named Cedarville. And I remember when we built our house. I remember watching the guys build the basement and how the house went up and All four of us kids and mom and dad moved into that house and we lived there all through high school and and I went to college there because my father became the president of Cedarville College so I went to college there and we lived there through college years. Then Don and I went off to seminary and lo and behold one day I get this call from my dad saying we're moving out. I said what do you mean we're moving out? He said well your mother and I have decided that one of these days probably not too long from now one of us is going to move out of this house. And we decided we thought it'd be good if we just moved out together. So we're moving out. I said, well, where in the world are you moving to? Oh, we're downsizing. And they moved into a mobile home out at the edge of Cedarville. I was so ticked at them. That was my home. That's where I grew up. I was back there for a homecoming. Don and I went back for the first time to go to a homecoming at Cedarville. And I drove by that house. And it's still there. And as soon as I drove by that house, a lot of the old feelings came back Remembering the good times in that home, the good times with my family, the origin of so many things that are true about me today happened in that house. But I want to tell you something God the Father is never moving out, He's not going to downsize. The Father's house is going to stay like it is. And the Bible says, in the Father's house, there's a place for us. I read a little statement that says this. When the destination is certain, the journey becomes worthwhile. And the destination, friends, is certain. We have a destination that is bigger than any of the problems we will ever face on this earth. If it all ended tonight for all of us, we just get promoted and upgraded and we go to a better place. Almighty God created the world in seven days and he's been working on heaven for thousands of years. What do you think he's doing up there? He's creating a place for us. A mansion. Now, I know the word mansion gets thrown around and sometimes misunderstood. I'm not really sure what the word means, but translated out of the language of the New Testament, the word really means rooms. In our Father's house, there are many rooms. And I don't want you to think it's some kind of a tenement building with a bathroom down the hallway. No, 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 it's not going to be like that. It simply means that there's going to be plenty of room for everybody who goes to heaven, and it's going to be an incredible place. It's going to be a place where we will be at home Like we have never ever been at home on this earth In my father's house are many mansions The language of an ultimate home is a powerful thought In fact, as I studied for this project I got caught up in this for a little bit I had to kind of shut it off because I was getting off the subject But you realize how many people, this is what they live for building the next home. Home is an incredibly powerful draw to people. It means something different to every person, but it's a longing that all of us have together. Home, no matter how humble, is the place where we begin life. It's a place where we have to leave to build an adult life, and the yearning to recapture the basic security that we knew in our home growing up is the sense of belonging that remains in us, and we can't ever get rid of it. And God has placed it that way. The Bible says God has set eternity in our hearts. I believe that God created us with a little vacuum that can only be filled with the presence of himself. And a part of that presence is the longing to be at home with God where he is. And you can see this longing throughout history if you study it. The first thing men do when they get wealthy is they build their dream house. Isn't that true? Don't you know a lot of people have done, I'm going to build my dream house. In some cases, they get consumed by this quest. You can see as you study history and compare it with the truth of the Bible, that there is within each of us a longing for home. Mm. Amen. The Father's house, my favorite term for heaven. And um, I hope you have that kind of a memory that you can associate with being in heaven with the Lord. Well, tomorrow we'll finish up uh, staying calm. Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to talk about staying compassionate and then Friday, staying constructive. So join us throughout this whole month. We're going to have a great time talking about how we can keep our cool when everybody else is, is gone. In this crazy time with new things happening, new things we've never seen before, unprecedented events, we can show the love of Christ. We can live a confident life. When everything else around us is swirling out of control, we are so thankful that you have uh, joined us today. And I want to tell you about something really special that you can get from Turning Point during this series. You can get these beautiful cards that go with each of the lessons that we're going to be talking about. And the card, I think it's kind of like a cliff note it's a cliff note of what's in the chapter, and what's on the text, and what's in the text, and what's on the broadcast. So if you get these cards, you'll have the essence of every chapter. You can carry them with you and review. They'll be a great encouragement to you, and they're absolutely free. You don't have to do anything to get them. Just ask for them when you call or write, and we'll be happy to send them to you. It's our way of encouraging you in your walk during these days. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, Please visit our website, where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, and start living with a greater certainty in these uncertain times. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org. radio This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue living with confidence in a chaotic world on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah.
1: and be in prayer. Henry Ford knew how to get things done. He once said, asking who ought to be boss is like asking who ought to be the tenor in the quartet. Obviously, the man who can sing tenor should be the tenor. That's common sense, but there's also a lot of spiritual sense in his observation. God gave every Christian one or more spiritual gifts, like teaching, giving, showing mercy, and others. If we ask, who should teach this class? The answer is obvious, the person with the spiritual gift of teaching. Every Christian should know what his or her spiritual gift is and then use it faithfully. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's gift to you on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com.